Hello, my name is Rubens Contuni. I'm an Italian product designer with 14 years of experience across multiple kinds of companies. During my career, I had a chance to work on many different projects in different industries. Among these, some of my favorites were digital products for kids. For this reason, in 2015, I moved from Milan to Los Angeles to work on digital touch points for an IP for kids called Storybots. Uh, for my work on this, I won an Emmy Award and I got a Webby nomination. Because of my experience and passion for kids' products, last year I wrote a book titled Designing Digital Products for Kids, published by A-Press. I'm currently back in Italy, working remotely as a design lead for a product design agency called MetaLab. Welcome to the UX of EdTech podcast, an exploration of user experience in the EdTech space. I'm your host, Alicia Kwan, and I look forward to learning with you today. Rubens, I'm really, really excited to talk about this this book with you. Um, I'm a big fan of of what you've written and, and put together, and I think it's such an important topic for for people to to discuss and to consider and that's the topic of designing for for kids um, on digital platforms and so I'm wondering if you can just tell us the story of how this book got got started just kind of maybe the brief version and and really I want to know what inspired you to write it sure uh, well thanks for having me first of all um, so yeah, as I mentioned in my introduction, I've been working on several projects uh, in, in the kids industry, um, and it's something that I really enjoyed, uh, first of all. So that's something that is really interesting for me, uh, and I enjoyed a lot uh, as a professional in, in, in design. Um, when I came back from, from Los Angeles after the experience working there, uh, specifically for, for, for digital products for kids, uh, I wrote some, um, some articles on Medium uh, on this very topic. Uh, and that was my first experience with Medium, actually. I came back and I said, okay, let's start sharing my experience uh, in something that is not very common uh, in, in design, you know. Uh, so uh, I wrote these three uh, articles and they got some some good feedback. Uh, and then uh, some a couple of years later, I would say, uh, yeah, I started to think like, yeah, maybe we can... Um, we can make this uh, a book. Uh, I was looking around uh, in in the in, in, in on Amazon and other uh, bookstores, and I couldn't find a lot on the topic. Um, a few of them, nothing really super recent. Um, and what I found wasn't really what I was looking for. Uh, so I kind of understood that there was uh, like a, a space in the market where I could probably. Uh, that I could probably feel with, with a book, uh, with, with the idea that I mind uh, for this kind of book. And yeah, uh, so I, I started last year, sorry, in 2019, in December, and it took me about uh, eight months. And then one year later, it was it was published. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that as well, that when you actually start looking around for resources on the, this type of topic, there's there's not a ton. And so, yeah, I was I was really happy to to find yours. And I I um I love how you basically said you went from you know medium articles into yeah lifting it into yeah. 
into a book. Um, yeah, that's a really good example and, and something to, yeah, for me to think about and for others to think about. And, you know, it's kind of like your, you know, version of a, of an MVP, right? You know, you're just kind of putting, yeah, it yeah, you can put it that way that for sure. Uh, I would say that that gave me uh, the, the confidence probably to understand maybe, yeah, I can, I can take this, this challenge and, and, and write a book. Yeah. It seems like a, an incredible, uh, a, a huge work and the, it, it actually is, uh, but you know, like, like having the, the, the positive feedback on, on medium and all the interest, people writing me and, and connecting with me on, on LinkedIn and other platforms and asking me information. Hey, can you take a look at my idea for a product for kids and all these kind of, you know, uh, interest really uh, make me feel that I could really do it and that there was interest around it. Uh, the hardest part was probably convince uh, a publisher that there was an interest around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. It reminds me of, uh, have you seen the movie, the Martian or read the book? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the book I, I heard it was actually um, basically a lot of it was written on Reddit first um, oh, wow. and the author tried to get, you know, the, the science community and others to weigh in on, okay, how accurate is it? You know, what I'm trying to describe. And he tried to, um, you know, just bring it closer to, yeah, to reality. And so I feel like that's another version of this, you know, where you've got, you know, use the community and and kind of a lower risk medium literally. And then you kind of, yeah, scale it up from there. So that's, that's really cool. And, and so as an author, you know, that's of a, of a book that's, that is on another level. And there's, there's other challenges with that. What was most challenging about writing a, a book on design? Uh, well, first of all, being you know like a first-time author, uh, you don't have the experience. You don't know really what is the the work ahead of you. Uh, like really basic things, like how long it should be, how many words, like how many chapters, or you know, it, it everything is new. You know, you are a reader, but it's a completely different perspective when you read a book compared to when you have to actually write it. So I was like reading articles around. Uh, non-fiction books, how long it should be, how to find the right publisher, how to like submit a proposal, uh, all these sort of things. And it's been a huge learning experience for me. Like really, uh, I had a lot to learn about it. And and yeah, just, I, I read books on how to write books. <laughs> and uh, so that I learned a lot. Um, and, and, and yeah, I guess the, the difficult was part was, yeah, one, understanding what I needed to do how to organize my work, even like on the more practical side, what tools I could use. Because, you know, I started like writing on Google Docs and then I found it wasn't very efficient. And there are tools that are specifically made uh, for writers that can help you a lot organizing the material and everything. And that really helped me uh, really, really uh, a ton. Um, And then another big obstacle for me, I guess, uh, was the confidence of using English uh, for writing my book because English is my second language. So that was like an added layer of complexity for me. I wanted to write it in English because the, of course, uh, being such a niche topic, writing in Italian, it was uh, impossible to to get any any results, I I guess. Uh, So uh, like English could expand my uh, my audience uh, a lot. So I wanted it to be to be written in English first, uh, and, and and by me. So that was another another difficult part for me to to kind of handle. 
Yeah. What was the most enjoyable part? Oh, most enjoyable. Well, I guess the huge amount of learning, because, you know, uh, when you write this kind of book, for sure, you are sharing your experience uh, and and what you learned uh, during your your daily uh, work and your years in design. But then you want to go deeper on on each and every aspect of it. Uh, and, And for each one of them, you have to do researches, uh, read studies, uh, get in touch with people, with experts in the in the field, and so it's it's really teaching you a lot, and and that's amazing. I'm I'm really uh, someone who loves learning new stuff. Uh, I always try to improve myself in in some kind of way, and and this is really has been an experience uh, on so many levels, and I learned a lot, even though. I was supposed to be the expert, but even though you're writing the book, you still have, you know, to add more to it and, and, and you, you learn a lot. Um, so I guess that was the, the most enjoyable part for me. And then, of course, once the book was out, uh, getting feedback from people uh, and, and knowing that the book has been helpful for them. Uh, and, and that was, of course, a super, super positive experience for me. Yeah, definitely really rewarding, I, I'm sure. Um, let's look at the the actual content of, of, of the book. And I'm going to just do rapid fire real quick on even what the chapters are titled, just so listeners can get a sense of, of what it is. It, it covers so much. So why design apps for kids? Before you start, know the industry, know your target audience, concepts, gamification, safety measures, interaction design, UI design, user testing with kids marketing your product beyond the screen and a concluding chapter. And there's just, yeah, there's so, so much that we could cover. And and I hope listeners, yeah, check out your book so that they can really get into um, all of it in depth. But one thing that I wanted to um, zoom in on, I guess I could say, is, is UI design. You have a great chapter mm-hmm. on that. You go into depth on decision-making for, you know, flat versus humorphic uh, colors, iconography, type, buttons, and even even character design. And you have these colorful illustrations and, and examples all throughout the chapter that I really appreciated to just help me visualize what you're actually describing. So I love, I love this chapter. Um, so people can definitely go check it out there for those illustrations. But for our purposes, can you just give me some quick tips on, let's let's say icons, type, and and color? Some some quick tips you can share with listeners. Sure, um, I want to spend a couple of words, sorry, about the structure of the book since you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's do that. Yeah. So uh, as you said, there is a lot to it, uh, and the reason is that when I was uh, writing the book, my idea was to make a book that would be uh, helpful to many different people interested in in the creation of the digital products for kids. So it could be the CEO of a startup, uh, it could be a designer uh, or someone taking care of, of UX design or UI design or, or you know, uh, different people. Uh, but in general, I had product designers in mind. Uh, so here we, we probably, I would digress a little bit in what is the product designer role for me and I won't go there. <laughs> it's going to be another long conversation. Just to make it shorter, I feel that a product designer nowadays is someone who can take care uh, of a product from start to finish. Uh, well, where, where finish is not the development, but the step before that. Uh, but basically, a product designer is handling a part that is a little bit of business, a little bit, a little bit of strategy, and then the interaction part, the UI part, 
and up to you know the some of the content and, and everything uh, so with that in mind i wanted this to be like a, a companion for someone building a product starting from the research on the of the market of the users uh the the target users and so on and getting to the end to the marketing and actually like selling your product monetizing it so that was the idea uh, of course, on, on each topic, you could write a book by itself. So that's for sure. Right, right. Uh, but this want to be like a good primer and a good, again, companion, a reference book that you can keep on your desk while you're working on, on a product for kids. Um, going back to, to your question specifically on chapter eight. Uh, yeah, there are some, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, applicable, like actionable uh, advice and tips that I, I I give to the readers because I wanted this to be not just theory. I wanted to be something that you can really apply uh, when you work on the product. And chapter eight, the one around UI, is one of the the chapters where you can have you can find the most uh, of, of this kind of information. Uh, for example, uh, I don't know around colors. Uh, there are all consideration around uh, kids having a preference for vibrant colors. Um, and this is, is backed up by, by studies and researches mentioned in the book. Uh, but for example, a common misconception with that is that products for kids should be super colorful, like having all the rainbow in every screen. Uh, and that's not the case, not necessarily. I mean, you can keep a limited palette, nice, vibrant colors, but still not going full rainbow all the way, all the time, you know? Um, that's one thing. Uh, another consideration, uh, for example, is there, there is a, a good paragraph around um, gender bias in, in color. And I think that's important. Uh, so, you know, like detaching from this conception of pink is for girls, blue is for boys. Um, there is a very nice picture in the book by this uh, South Korean uh, photographer, uh, artist, where she, she made this series of photos of kids in their room uh, and all the girls are, are surrounded by like an um, incredible amount of pink toys and, 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 and clothes and, and, and objects and boys are surrounded by blue. And this is to highlight this, this sort of uh, gender bias when, when it comes to, to use color. And I talk a lot about that and trying to detach from, from that old uh, kind of way of using color uh, for kids. So be more neutral and don't think about gender when, when picking colors. Uh, other tips uh, around uh, iconography, for example. Uh, yeah, it's true that kids, especially uh, the younger ones, uh, cannot really understand when uh, an icon is too abstract. So there is a lot of consideration around that. So uh, how kids handle abstraction, how uh, you should try to be uh, more literal uh, with icons, uh, when, when especially for, for younger kids, like three, four, five years old. And then you can start to abstract a little bit more when, when they grow up. But uh, my personal consideration or observation on that is, is that kids can also learn very fast this means that even if something is a little bit more abstract, uh, they can pick it up really fast. So uh, they try, uh, they see you as a parent using it one one time, and then they learn it super fast. So uh, my kid, she learned how to use Procreate, which is an app uh, for iPad to, to make digital art. And 
the interface is absolutely for adults, it's not at all for kids. Uh, and the iconography is the typical iconography you have on, on a product for adults. And uh, she learned to use it right away because she saw me using it and then she learned. And then there's another consideration around icons. It's true that, yeah, you want to be more literal, but some symbols that are very abstract are like standards and you don't want to uh, go away from that, for example, uh, think about the play icon, like the triangle to, to play something. Uh, that's not like a really literal representation of, of anything, uh, but still you don't want to make it like, a, I don't know, a, a, a joypad if it's a game or uh, a TV screen if it's a video, because that's not the standard that you find in other apps. So, uh, you know, other apps are using the triangle, so you can't go different than that. Than that. Because otherwise, people, the kids using your app will be uh, confused by that. Yeah, I noticed in your your book that you had a, a an icon with a floppy disk and pointing out how you know we know that that means saved, and and kids today will learn that that means saved, even though they've never seen and never used a floppy disk, which is it's kind of an interesting yeah, yeah phenomenon to think about. Yeah, uh, in, in that specific part, yeah, I'm not suggesting to use that as an icon in products for kids, but that's a good example of something that uh, like teenagers, uh, like Gen Zers, uh, probably never saw in their life, uh, but they can recognize as something that is used to indicate save a document or something like that. Uh, same way we use like the, uh, the, the classic phone icon is, is a shape that we don't use anymore, like that kind of shape for a for a phone you know uh so uh that's something that that we should keep in mind and going back to icons yeah i guess you can you can it's allowed to use some some level of abstraction especially on on icons that became uh like a standard uh for something that is like really hard to represent literally right right yeah that that's that's great that's that's good thoughts there what about um when it comes to yeah typography and and type choices yeah uh again here i've seen that things are better on modern products but there was sometimes there still is this misconception of you know, products for kids are fun, are supposed to be fun. So let's use this crazy, zany, uh, like birthday card kind of fonts, you know, uh, that are impossible to read and, and doesn't look great uh, in, a, in a UI. Uh, so there are a lot of consideration when it comes to, to typography. Uh, first of all, you know, kids are, well, besides the super young ones, but uh, kids that are starting to go to elementary school, like five, six years old, they're starting to uh, to, to read. So you, you want to use uh, a typography that is similar to what they see at school um, and on their on their uh, educational material in school. Um, and so there are a lot of considerations around that, like uh, serif versus sans serif. Usually you go sans serif is more easy to recognize the letters. Um, some educators about that think that, yeah, it's true, but then kids will see serif font on books and magazines. They should be learning how to read that as well. Uh, so there are like different different takes on the topic, uh, but there are a lot of considerations regarding uh, like sizing, uh, line height, 
uh, all these sort of things that are super important, especially if you're working on a products for kids that are starting to read. And maybe you have, I don't know, like uh, interactive books or stories they can read in your in your app. You should consider uh, or, or, or all of these things like, yeah, the uh, counter shape, like being more rounded uh, and, and the ascenders and descenders being like slightly longer than than uh, fonts for adults or things like that, because you, you, you they need to be guided more and the letters should be very recognizable. Uh, so you, you need to help them uh, getting confidence in, in, in reading by themselves. Uh, so yeah, there is a lot about typography. Of course, when we talk about type that is like uh, a, a label for an icon that is more aiming maybe for the companion, like for a parent that is there with them, uh, then the, all of these considerations about, about sizing are like, uh, that are, are, are different because of course you can't have like super huge letters next to an icon. Uh, but still like you should try to consider uh, how kids are learning in school, what, what kind of fonts, what kind of typefaces they use. Uh, and my advice is of course, there are a lot of tips in the book, but is always to try uh, getting in touch with an expert. Uh, and this is not just for typography, but for uh, the entire process of building products for kids have an education uh, an education expert uh, a, a teacher someone who can uh, provide you with guidance with with feedback and with yeah just expertise on how they teach the kids and and try to put that in your in your app that's what we had when we were working uh, on the storybots app we had this uh, consultant and she was helping me in defining all of these things yeah I absolutely agree. Yeah, having someone who's who's in that space um, as an educator or specializing in education, if it's you know an education app or, or whatever it might be, um, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I really appreciated how you um, drew attention in your book to character design, and that was something that I wasn't thinking of right away when you know picking up this book. And yep. I was so happy to see that you included that. Um, what would you say is important about this? Why are characters important to pay attention to in apps and websites for children? Um, so yeah, that's something that probably you don't normally find uh, in books for, for UI uh, or for uh, digital design. Uh, and it, it's very specific to kids probably. Uh, and I think it's super important that sometimes is is overlooked. Um, I really care about that, first of all, because I have experience as a character designer. I've been doing that uh, during my career, like as a, as a side gig or like a parallel <laughs> career. Um, and I've been working with, with many brands. My last project in that capacity was for an educational TV series for kids uh, for, for BBC. Um, and that was a really, really cool project. Um, so it, it, it's really important because, you know, uh, all I would say, I dare to say all uh, products for kids include at least one character. Um, maybe I'm going too far, but I would say the vast majority uh, use characters. Um, and they're, they're important because, of course, they create this emotional bond uh, between the kid and the product. You know, it's not just buttons and, and, and text and icons, but it's also someone there to, that is talking to you. Um, when we were working on the educational platform for, for storybots that would be used in, uh, in, in uh, kindergartens, 
the feedback was, of course, like sound and color and things like that. But also the character was talking to you and showing an emotion uh, when you were doing something right or, or wrong. Uh, and so it, it creates this bond and this connection between the app and the kid. Uh, and, and it's just something that is like a, there, there's, there's an interview uh, in the book uh, with Chris O'Hara. He's a character designer at Netflix now. And I've been working with him in the past uh, for Storybots. He was one of the, uh, of the animator for Storybots. Um, and his interview, he mentioned uh, like uh, characters being like a sort of a big brother uh, for the kid working with the app, you know, uh, being educational or not, it's a companion, someone who can who can uh, guide and can yeah give feedback, guide the kid, show instruction. You know, it's just different because of course you have to remember that uh, young kids, especially younger ones, can't read. So having this this character using body language and expression can can really help a lot. Uh, so and. Of course, there is also the consideration that characters are in, you know, animation, uh, in books for kids, in, in comics books. So it's something that is really super tied to the, to the kids' world. And I think that was an important part to mention in the book. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you you did. It, it was a really great topic to, to think through. And, and like you said earlier, it seemed like it could be yeah, an entire book in, in, its, in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, well, let, let's pan out a little bit, taking all that you've learned from um, your experiences, what you've worked on, um, your process of writing through this book. Can you describe an app that you think is designed very well for kids? And, you know, it could be any age, um, but yeah, what's an example that you kind of like to hold up as, as excellent for, for kids? Uh, well, I probably that comes out of uh, the book. If you read it, uh, I'm a huge fan of Stokaboka and Sagomini. Uh, I, I really love, I would say, <laughs> all their apps. So to me, that is probably the best in the industry as of now. Uh, it's been for many years and still is. Um, I really love uh, everything they do uh, in terms of really character design that we just mentioned, the interaction, the the, the games, the, this sandbox approach. So all of their apps are um, this, this sandbox kind of thing where you can, I don't know, just cut the hair of a character or uh, create clothes or, you know, make crazy hats or stuff like that. They're super fun. Um, and normally, yeah, kids, all kids love them. And they are so like, universal like they appeal to young kids older kids and they are not for for male or females they're for anybody uh they are super super inclusive and they're just great well crafted great animation great sound design great ui there's really they're amazing um uh, are probably a little bit more for uh older kids maybe like six, seven and up, and Sagominia is more for, for, for younger kids. Uh, but both of them uh, have a lot in common in terms of uh, the concept. So this sandbox approach being not strictly educational in, in, the, in the classic traditional term of educational, but still they teach you something. 
and they're just great. I mean, all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not the first person to mention Tokoboka, so I, I love hearing hearing about them and and experiencing some of their work myself. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, what are some of the major uh, shifting gears here? Major pitfalls. So kind of swinging the opposite end. Uh, major pitfalls you've seen companies make when designing for for kids. Yeah. Uh, I guess here we go a little bit back on visual design uh, and character design um, because I feel like sometimes uh, this is a little bit overlooked uh, and it's super important instead. Uh, this is getting better. Uh, like there is a lot of competition right now. The level is very high on average and it's super competitive market. It's more mature than it was a few years ago. Uh, so the level is, is very high now. Uh, but still, like one of the things that is sometimes overlooked, and this is especially true, I feel personally in in strictly educational products. When it comes to more game kind of experiences, like yeah, I said Tokaboka, for example, uh, then the level is probably higher because they compete, you know, with with video games. Uh, like you know, you have to compete with Roblox, you have to compete with Minecraft, you have to compete with I mean, even Fortnite, if you think about uh, like 12 years old and up probably. So uh, the level there is higher. But when it comes to products that are really like educational in a more traditional uh, sense of the, of the term, um, then sometimes uh, the visual aspect uh, is a little bit overlooked. Um, and I think it, it's something that is, is important to, to pay attention to. Um, because, you know, uh, a product that is looking good is also more uh, get, it's easy that it's more trusted also by the parents, looks more legit <laughs> compared to something that looks a little bit, you know, uh, not, not really well, well crafted and well thought. Uh, and the competition, again, is very hard now. So it's something that they, they, should, they should care. Um, yeah. Yeah, what, what kind of app would you say serves kids well today in, in 2021? If you could maybe even dream up, you know, a, a kid's app, what, what would it be? Yeah, uh, that's that's a hard one. But I got a, like, I was going, talking with my wife days ago. Uh, and uh, the conversation was about remote uh, schooling. You know, it's something that we've seen a lot uh, in the past year. Uh, and we know that, well, we know, we hope that we will go back to normal as soon as possible. But I feel that the idea of remote schooling uh, is going to be something that we'll, 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 we will see more and more. And we saw that with our daughter uh, and also my wife, she's teaching Japanese online and she's teaching to, to a kid eight years old uh, these days. And she's seeing that with him, it's hard to keep kids in front of the screen, you know, talking to someone, to a teacher or, you know. Um, and so I was thinking there is, I, I, as far as I know, it, it might be out there. Uh, so I'm happy if someone got in touch with me, I show it. <laughs> but I, I like my kid use like Zoom or other apps that are thought for, are made for adults, right? They're not made for kids. And so even in terms of interaction, participation, and communication with the teacher. You can do anything. You can just sit in front of that and watch and listen and talk. That's it, right? 
So I was imagining having something that is more interactive. So the teacher can do something on their side and they can trigger some action to perform on the screen for the kids on the other side. Uh, so it could be a way to have like this interaction and communication where kids can do something on the screen while, while talking to the teacher uh, and maybe interact with other kids as well uh, in this form of remote communication uh, that, is, that is happening live. I don't know anything about it. Uh, so if someone knows it, yeah. Or if you want to make it, get in touch. Let's make it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like the the direction you're going with that. Well, Rubens, this has been really great to just hear more about your process with the book. And um, wh what are you up to now? What are you working on? Uh, I'm not working on anything for kids right now. Um, but it's possible that in the near future, I will go back to work on something for kids. So there are some ideas uh, around uh, and we'll see. Right now I'm working on, on the project for a big tech company. Um, nothing to do with kids, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. okay. How can people find your book and follow you and, and connect with you? Uh, they can find it on the publisher website, apress.com. They can just look for Rubens Cantuni. They find it, just one book. Uh, for now, I just have one. Uh, <laughs> and on Amazon, of course, uh, yeah, pretty much on the major uh, bookstores online. Uh, and yeah, to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Rubens Cantuni. Uh, so just my name. I'm I'm the only one uh, on any <laughs> platform. Uh, not a very common name, so it's easy to spot me. Uh, Medium is where I write uh, and I share stuff, not just for kids uh, on design for kids, but design in general. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you again for your time and and sharing with us your experience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners, check out the show notes for ways to connect with Rubens. I'll put a link to his his book and, and how to connect with him. And there's also a link to an email series exploring UX and education that you could find um, that might be interesting to you. And feel free to reach out if you have any perspectives or stories to share. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at UX underscore EdTech or on LinkedIn as Alicia Kwan. This is the UX of EdTech podcast an exploration of user experience in the education technology space. I look forward to learning with you next time. <laughs> <laughs>